Hello and welcome to another edition of the Purple Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Parker Fleming, and I have with me here on this Oklahoma Game Week, our co-host Grant McGalliard. Grant, how are you? Parker, uh, I am doing just fine. Oklahoma week is always kind of easy for me because uh, I don't feel the need to worry. I kind of know what's going to happen. How are you? I, I'm doing all right. There's some uh, there's some comfort in our assured destruction. And, uh, mm-hmm. it, you know, it's kind of like the rhythms of – in Texas, we don't really get fall. We get, you know, we get a week of fall, maybe maybe three or four days of fall. And, uh, and, and it's kind of that comforting season's change to know, hey, we're playing Oklahoma this week and – and uh, man, Oklahoma's really good. So I, sure I, I, I'm thinking about this this week. And before we talk about football at all, there's a couple things I want to talk about. And the first one is, uh, you know, Grant, in, in our Purple Theory newsletter, which everyone listening to this should subscribe to because uh, our, our podcast is us off the cuff and rambling. And, and the newsletter is just kind of this very, very precise, very deep, detailed um, breakdown of, of TCU football. So you should, you should subscribe to it. But one of the things we've been doing on that, Grant, is we've been introducing our pieces with country music lyrics, which is a bit I love. Uh, and so I'm thinking about Oklahoma and I'm thinking about Texas and Red Dirt and, and country Western. And, and I want to talk for a second, Grant. What's the best country music song about Oklahoma? So I think there's a couple ways you can go there. Certainly the most influential is Merle Hackard's uh, Okie from Muskogee, right? Classic, everyone knows it, everyone loves it, that's great. Um, and I, and very, I'll say very, that's still true of my life, that White Lightning, White Lightning is still the uh, biggest thrill of all. Well, yeah, of course, of course. Um, I, I will throw a hat in the ring for uh, Cross Canadian Ragweed's Boys from Oklahoma live at the uh, the Wormy Dog Saloon. Um, I, I, I can't endorse some of the things to say in the lyrics, but I will say that uh, every time TC plays a team from Oklahoma, that is uh, kind of what I wake up to. Uh, yes, definitely a very, very funny song. Um, especially just, just the bit of, again, they say a terrible word. I don't endorse that word. Obviously, we're moving past that. But they say, oh, man, we, we got to sell some records in Norman. And then they well, do, do the it first anyway. again. <laughs> they do it again. That's, that's funny. That's, that's um, great. Okay, I think I think that's a good one. I was going down the, the trove today, and I actually think I have two entries. One that's that's pretty pretty surface level, and then one that's a little deeper. So, uh, you're familiar with uh, Adam Carroll? One of my favorites. I actually bought a, a page of lyrics to Snow Cone Man signed by Adam Carroll. I went oh wow! It was a wedding wow. gift. Yeah. So so Adam Carroll has a song called Oklahoma Gypsy Shuffler, and mm-hmm. the reason I like this song so much is not just because of of Adam Carroll, but because uh, I saw a Turnpike Troubadours concert one time in Memphis, and uh, I'll come back to the Turnpike Troubadours here in a minute. But I, I, I'm sure I, I saw a Turnpike Troubadours comp- uh, concert in Memphis, and their opening act was a guy named uh, something like Cooter McGraw. Like it was just very country, whatever. <laughs> you and made was, that up off the top of your head. No, I'm dead serious. And this dude <laughs> was like six four, three hundred pounds. He wore denim on denim. And he had an Oklahoma flag. Like, he walked out on stage with the Oklahoma flag, and then he penned it up on the drum set behind him. I don't remember a song he sang. But this guy was an Oklahoma gypsy shuffler. Like, he was wearing denim mm-hmm. on denim with the alligator boots, whatever. Not to mention, Grant, this song features this verse. And I'm just going to say it off the top of my head here, so I might get it completely wrong. But um, uh, the, the, the verse that's so amazing is, snorting cocaine off a buck knife... Three two drinking, playing four four time. 
He tried his best, but he could never act right with a honky-tonk angel hanging on every line. And then he goes into the chorus. That might be the best verse in country music history right there. Uh, yeah, just so good. It's so good. Adam Carroll's a genius. I, 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 know, I know what song you're going to mention when it comes to Turnpike. Before you do, and I agree with, with – they have a couple songs based in Oklahoma. Obviously, that's where they're from. But um, I have to give a shout-out to Jason Eady, uh, who used to live in Stephenville, uh, 45 minutes away where I used to live. And uh, his song, OK Whiskey is a, a great song. It's, it's whiskey or nothing up in Oklahoma. The beer up here just won't do. Uh, you know, no, no more messing around uh, with that old 3-2, uh, I, I believe. Um, yeah, it, it's a great song. I, a, I highly, highly encourage everybody to listen to it. That's a great one and, and a good Fort Worth tie. Again, we don't, we, don't have, uh, we don't have sponsorship here or anything, but I love the post at River East. Uh, mm-hmm. I went to I went to an Adam Hood concert there about two weeks before the world oh, yeah. went on fire and it was just uh, immaculate. Uh, Jason Eady has been playing a socially distanced outdoor concert pretty regularly at uh, at the Post on River East, so you should check that out if you like it. Um, wait, okay, which which song do you think I'm going to go for? Well, so the obvious one is Oklahoma Stars, but that's not the best Turnpike song about Oklahoma. Uh, the Bird Hunters is clearly set in Oklahoma. Um, go on back to Cherokee County, which I think is, I'm going to mispronounce the town, Tahlequah, Tahlequah, that's where Evan Felker's from. Um, and that is the best Turnpike song about Oklahoma. That, that might be the best Turnpike song. That's, that's an incredible piece Period. of songwriting. Yeah. Uh, I will plug one more. Uh, Hang Me in the Tulsa County Stars by John Moreland. Uh, is, oh, is yeah. an underrated piece of songwriting. John Moreland is everything I want in a country singer. He's 350 pounds. Dude, uh, he, he, he might be 450. He's a big old boy. Honestly, I don't mean this, I don't mean this to like shame him or anything. He's living his no, life and, and I'm happy with it. I went and saw him at a house show in Memphis, Grant, and the house shook as he walked across the floor. It was, it was incredible. He, he's a big guy. His latest album is incredible. Uh, oh, yeah. Let me be understood. Highly, highly recommend. Very, very this good. podcast has gone off the rails. This is a music podcast. <laughs> but, but okay. This is a music podcast. Okay, we don't want to talk about the depressing stuff. Let's get back to Yeah, I could talk about sad country music for the entirety of my life. Uh, one, one more random football thing before we get to Oklahoma. Grant, have you seen the, the best Twitter account on the internet right now? <laughs> I, I, you told this to me like five minutes before we started the pod, and I, I have been only paying half attention to what you've been saying because I've been reading it. This makes me uh, so happy. There's a, there's a Twitter account, uh, at Herm Googles, and it's, it's, what did Tom Herman just Google? <laughs> and it made me laugh so hard because I saw one right before we got on called, and it said, uh, Orange Bloods Forgot Password. <laughs> The one, the one right before that is what is hot seat WebMD, and I, this is up there with if you were, if you're a sicko like us and you've been on Twitter for a while and you remember fake Dan Beeb, um, <laughs> the, the parody kind of the Big Twelve commissioner. This this is up there with that. I, really I highly recommend. I don't know who runs this account. Oh, I guarantee it's Blink and Riley. Oh, um, it is, but that, yeah. and that's fine. Yeah, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> Give them a follow. The, uh, the other, the other great one is an RPO a run pay or a plat or a <laughs> I can't even say it. Oh my gosh, so good. Um, uh, okay, all right. That's enough. That's enough shenanigans. Let's get serious. Um, this is a, a, a podcast full of shenanigans, but no more. Uh, Grant, it's Oklahoma game week, and SP Plus has Oklahoma winning by 9.7 points over TCU with uh, a 71% win probability. 
and, and it's a big it's a big weekend. TCU hasn't beaten Oklahoma since 2014. Uh, that's one time since since TCU has joined the Big 12 that they have beaten Oklahoma, which is um, not great. Do you uh, where were you during that game? Do you remember? 2014, Oklahoma. Yeah. It was in Fort Worth. I think I was there. I think was. I, that was after the year okay. I graduated. Uh, the stadium had been – so 2013 was the year the stadium was really, really bad. 2014 no, – No, 2013 was the first year of the new stadium. Oh, 12 was, 12 was the year the stadium was really bad. I didn't go to a game yes. in 2013. 2014, I went to Oklahoma and Kansas State. Those were the two games that I was there. Okay. I was at the Oklahoma game, and listen, not to uh, um, tell tales on myself, I don't remember the first half. I think I spilled nachos on my Sperry's. Roll Tide. If I remember correctly. Um, yeah. That's the tide. most TCU uh, undergrad sentence that has ever been constructed. It, it, was, it, was, I it was a good time. I think I spilled nachos on my Sperry's. I did spill nachos on my Sperry's. I had to order <laughs> them there. Um, but I did rush the field. I, I, I remember coming into consciousness during the pick six. The Paul Dawson, it was Paul Dawson pick six, right? Yeah. And uh, one of the most fun, like, second halves of a game I've ever seen, That's that and probably the Kansas State blackout game, were the loudest I've ever heard the stadium. Yes, I, I, I agree. Uh, part of that, okay, we have to do an off-season podcast. Grant, I said this offhand like two podcasts ago about how much I hated the TCU game day yeah, experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got six DMs that were like, what do you mean? What, like, it's I also bad. got what like two think? or three. Okay, yeah, so yeah, we're going to yeah. talk yeah. about this as off-season because – yeah, 2014 feels like the last year before it went bad. It, it, it was the it was the pinnacle, and that probably mirrors the football team. But anyway, yeah. So so you're right. TCU hasn't beaten Oklahoma since 2014, and some of them have been close, right? I mean, I mean, there were two one score games after that, and then Oklahoma well, just kind of two of them have been close. 15 was close. Well, that's what I'm saying. 15, 15 was, was close. close. The rest 19 of them was not close. close. Uh, right. I mean, I mean, 2000. Well, no, 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 no. 2000. 15 was the two-point conversion game. And the one after that was 52-46, I think. Just a complete shootout. And I don't think TCU was close. I think I think 52-46 was actually 2018 when Mike Collins came in and played well, and then he got hurt. Remember, his hand looked so gross on the sidelines. Oh, I do remember that. Hold yeah, on. Wait, and, and then uh, he had to go out and that kind of so, – so I think the 2016 game was like within a score in the second quarter, and then Mike Collins went out and it just went to hell. Well, yeah. I, I mean, look, Oklahoma's beaten the hell out of TCU in the last few years. That's that's kind of what we're getting at. Last year was obviously kind of a weird, fluky, strange, dumb game. Um, I yeah, okay, yeah. I don't know what the hell I was talking about. 2016 was no. 2015 was 30 29. 2016 was 52 46 at TCU. Oh, so 16 was they didn't get the last stop. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And then 17 uh, 38 20 in Norman, and the Big 12 championship game was 41-17. That was when they were kind of, like, close. I think – I think I, I did not watch that game. I was on a plane going to North Carolina, if I remember correctly. or No, I was going to Philadelphia. Anyway, long story. And uh, I got the plane, and they were tied, and then it was 41-17 at the end. Yeah, so, so that, that, that game I remember for a couple reasons. One, it was in Jerry World. Two, Michael yes. Landestoy, TCU first baseman. Uh-huh. Uh, was there in front of me, and and he let me see. I I asked him. I said, Mike, let me see the ring because the TCU just won the uh, Big Twelve uh, baseball championship, and he showed me the ring. And I said, Oh, that's awesome! And then he took it off his finger and he handed it to me, 
and I put it on my finger. And then like 30 minutes went by where Michael Landestoy just gave me his Big 12 championship ring. And then I was finally like, oh, I shouldn't have this. And so I gave it back to him. That's, that's what I remember besides the fact that TCU was close for a minute and then they weren't close at all. I was going to make a very mean statement, but I refrained from doing so out of being a TCU baseball fan. So I won't do it. Oh, I was, I was um, going to say, is that the closest I've come to a championship ring? Yeah, I can own myself. Well, that was it. No, 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 no. It was, <laughs> no, 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 that wasn't it. Uh, anyway, yes. So long story short, Oklahoma has had TCU's number. They've only lost the TCU one time since the Frogs had joined the Big 12. And that's probably a combination of great recruiting on the part of the Sooners and Lincoln Riley being an offensive genius for the last few years. Um, and partly because – they play a style that is really, really hard to defend, especially for a team like TCU. They kind of thrive on big plays, and TCU gives up big plays. Yeah, absolutely. They they are really this explosive offense. Um, Lincoln Riley's offense uh, at, at Oklahoma has finished first three times, and then their lowest finish was ninth in 2019. Uh, so a, a top 10 finish is Oklahoma's worst offensive season under under Lincoln Riley, which is just bewildering uh, to me. Yeah, and, and I, I kind of want to make a point, and, and this is a bit of a digression and a bit not, but just talking about Oklahoma and how they've performed, um, like in the college football playoff, for example. Look, they, they, they've hit some buzz saws. Um, they played well against Georgia, lost that epic Rose Bowl. Great game. You can't really argue with that. Um, they ran into LSU maybe the best team in the last decade, uh, statistically at least. Uh, like, Oklahoma is not a like a, on a tier lower than Bama, Clemson, Georgia, all that. I truly believe that they're year in, year out, one of the best teams in the country. They've just kind of ran into the wrong team at the wrong time. And I, I do think at their peak, they can really compete with anybody. And that, that's not me being a bitch of Homer. I have no Oklahoma affiliation. Um, I, I just think that like they kind of get a bad rap and the big 12 does because they lose in the semifinal, but they lose to like really, really good teams. And there's no shame in that. They just, you know, just haven't really found the right matchup. I will forever think it's hilarious that Oklahoma lost a shootout to a Georgia team who insists they want to play like man ball, <laughs> shorten the field, yada, yada. Um, that, that's very funny. That's, that's fair. Yeah, no, no um, that's fair. Okay, well, well, let's talk about Oklahoma uh, a little bit. Let's let's talk about the matchup, and so um, let's let's talk about Oklahoma's offense. Their offense is uh, overall ranked, uh, or their 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 team overall is ranked ninth uh, in SP plus. Their offense is fourth, a forty seven point seven percent success rate overall on offense, uh, which is which is uh, some alarming uh, efficiency. So, Grant, what do you, what are your thoughts on the Oklahoma offense? What do you think they do well? How do you think they operate? Uh, what should TCU fans and viewers be looking for this weekend? Yeah, so I talked a little bit about this uh, in our earlier podcast this week and a little bit in the newsletter. But what I think Oklahoma does extremely well is adhere to a set of principles. And their principles are very, very smartly designed. So is they're their, pretty much is their principles score points. Yeah, yeah. That's generally kind of their goal, um, which can't be said for, I don't know, a certain offense that might play in Amogee Carter Stadium. Uh, I, I, I think what they do well is they get their athletes in space, and they do so by not confusing the defense, but making the defense make some, some pretty hard choices. They, 
Can I, they, can I they, impose the, impose yeah. the word con, they, they, conflict defenders? They make defenders sure. into conflict defenders, and, yeah. uh, and that makes things really, really hard. Right. So if you're a safety, you know, or if you're a cornerback, and you have to be thinking, okay, wait a minute. There's pre-snap motion here. I have to keep that in my mind. Also, Spencer Rattler, Spencer Rattler has an arm. He was going to make some freshman mistakes. And these wide receivers are running, you know, crossing routes. They, you know, they're running, you know, smartly designed plays. And also, this wide receiver is maybe the best wide receiver in Texas uh, fo- high school football history, Marvin Mims, or, or a guy named Charleston Rambo, one of the best-named players in college football history, and I have to defend him at the same time. That's going to bamboozle a lot of defenses. Um, the principles are that they run a lot of GT counter. We talked about that last week or last podcast. They pretty much always at least make the linebacker think about a handoff uh, by running play action on almost every pass. And they just have a good enough offensive line to give Spencer Rattler time to kind of stand behind the pocket and let his wide receivers work. And that works pretty well. Uh, absolutely. I will say about the GT counter and, and kind of their power run game. The thing I'm worried about a lot is that, is that, that, that kind of power, uh, they, they, they add like an RPO on top of that. And yeah. so the defensive end doesn't just have to worry about, am I getting, uh, am I getting red or not? Like, am I the right. read defender? He has to worry about, am I the read defender or am I getting murdered? Uh, right. by a pulling guard. And, and that right. just adds another dimension that necessarily, you know, Iowa State, Texas, Kansas State, all, all run those to some extent, but Oklahoma thrives on that. And that's kind of a new dimension this week, which I'm a little bit worried about. I agree. And there are better individual guards and tackles and centers in the Big 12 than what Oklahoma has, but as a cohesive unit, at the highest rated run blocking grade in the Big 12. Well, I, 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 I absolutely think they're, they're a good unit. Uh, UCLA transfer Chris Murray won his appeal. And he is going to play this weekend. Uh, and, and that should be worrisome to TCU because an already very good offensive line gets, gets an excellent uh, lineman. Yeah. So the fact that they're be, like, able to plug him in, like you said, on a line that's already pretty daggum dominant. Um, their running back core isn't as great as it has been in previous years. You know, you have guys like Samaj J.P. Ryan and stuff like that. But – you have pretty talented guys. They're running – actually, their running offense isn't really graded that high, at least on, like, success rate and PFF grades and all that. But their line is still good enough to kind of make linemen and linebackers stink. No, their, their, their offensive rushing success rate is, is only 36, which is decidedly mediocre, and their marginal explosiveness is, is 54th. So, so uh, a pretty mediocre run game um, overall, which makes me nervous – just because Oklahoma has been limited by good run defenses. Sure. And I'm worried about TCU's big play proclivity. No, I, I completely agree. And I want to ask you this, Parker. So Oklahoma and TCU have very, very similar resumes. They both lost to Kansas State and Iowa State, and they both beat Texas. And Oklahoma beat Missouri State, but okay, whatever. And yet Oklahoma is such a big favorite. And they should be, but I guess what I'm asking is, in your opinion, what makes Oklahoma head and shoulders above, you know, kind of the rest of the conference, at least talent-wise? Well, I will say just just recruiting rankings. Um, yeah, Oklahoma is better than everybody, but 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 Texas and 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 it's and it's Oklahoma, uh, Texas one, Oklahoma two, and then a huge gap, and then TCU is three right now in the 24/7 composite ranking. Um, 
I think what you've got to look at with Oklahoma is that 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 game against Iowa or excuse me that game against Kansas State, Oklahoma had a sixty three percent post game win probability. So statistically and talent wise, there were just some there were just some flukes that happened and, and resulted in in Oklahoma losing that game. Um, and and I think if you just go down through every position and look at uh, offensive line, quarterback, defensive line, defensive secondary, uh, there are better units, individual units at every position. Except I think I think quarterback. I think Spencer Rattler is still the best quarterback in the Big Twelve. But but on on average overall, I don't I don't know that anyone has a higher rating. Uh, uh, of every unit, which is realistically what happens when you recruit well and then have an offensive coordinator and a, and a defensive coordinator now, which is very scary about Oklahoma, mm. who, who knows how to take that raw talent and deploy it against kind of these high-octane offensive threats in the Big 12. No, I completely agree. Um, I, I, I don't want to necessarily pivot already to the defense. I just kind of want to issue a uh, – not an apology, a, a correction to something I said uh, – on the previous podcast, which is that I said I didn't necessarily have faith in the Oklahoma defense. Their rating is higher this week. I was kind of basing that on not on them not having a whole bunch of stars. Um, but I am very impressed by guys like Nick Benito um, or Bonito. I apologize. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. I'm going with like, Benito. So, yeah. okay. Th- that works. Um, like that dude is 20 pressures on 75 pass rushing attempts. Is that good? That is uh, very good. He is, okay. he is going to be a problem. You're right, he's going to be a problem, exactly. And so, I, I, again, not an apology. I, I, I will never apologize, uh, but just a correction because I, I did look at the numbers, and I, I do think that Oklahoma defense is kind of better than what you may think judging on complete raw, like, final score lines and all that. Grant, you should, uh, you should become a Bayesian because the Bayesians just say, oh, I wasn't wrong. I've just updated my priors given new information. I don't know what that word means. Well, uh Life is life is full of mystery. Uh, yeah, so so on the offense, I, I think there's kind of four guys you've got to worry about in the passing game. Charleston Rambo is averaging 12.5 yards completion, and Marvin Mims is averaging 13.1 yards per, per completion. Um, Rambo's only catching about 60% of his targets. Marvin Mims is catching 79% of his targets, which is – just terrifying. So, so I have to imagine that Noah Daniels would be on Marvin Mims. Mims has a little bit, uh, a little bit more depth, a little bit more over the top options. Um, and, and so I'll be interested to see what the cornerbacks can do about that because it's going to be one-on-one largely there on the corner. Um, the other guy that I'm, that I'm pretty interested in is Theo Weiss hasn't had like an amazing year, but he's played this really nice underneath co- uh, compliment to those two. So he's got about 15% of Oklahoma's targets this season, but he's only averaging about 9.7 yards per completion. And so, so Weiss kind of provides this underneath element, you know, also with Austin Stugner, who's the, 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 the classic Oklahoma tight end that I just assume is the same guy. They're just putting a different jersey on year after right. year. It's, 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 it's Mark Andrews. It's great. Right. Calcantara, like all those guys, right? Exactly. They're um, all, they're all I, the same. I need to say they're all the same. I, I do have to highlight. So I, I'm a big Texas high school football nerd. Um, I grew up in Texas. I covered Texas high school football for a while. Marvin Mims is the all-time leading receiver in a career uh, in Texas high school football and in a season. He had 2,629 yards with 32 touchdowns on 117 catches as a senior. 
Is that good? That's pretty that's good. A what, that's a what, lot. What did he play? I mean, was he playing like single A or something? Or no, he, he was a six A school. He, he was at Frisco. Dang, that I know. Is, and, um, impressive. I know. And Theo Weiss, Theo Weiss came from Allen and was almost as good. I mean, the number three receiver uh, in the country, the number four prospect in Texas coming out. Um, like these guys are absolute studs, and they're like continuing to show it at the next level, and it's kind of fun to see, and also terrifying to see. Well, what's interesting about that too is you heard Rambo and Weiss coming into the season. You thought like these are going to be right. the guys, and and Mims, even even though he had this amazing high school resume, nobody was really talking about him, and he has become uh, a, a very I scary mean, option. He's a true freshman, yeah. and, and he's putting these numbers up against really really good, um, you know, def- or you know, college defenses. I mean, you guys that have played. I, I am trying Parker to come up with a pun based on the song "This Is Why I'm Hot" by Mims. Um, I'm pulling up the rap genius lyrics now, and, and there's a lot of words I can't say in here. But anyway, just know that I thought about it, and I want that to count for the podcast. You know what? It's the thought that it's the thought that counts. It's like buying a Hallmark card you didn't read for your grandmother's birthday. <laughs> the thought thought is what counts. Um, uh, rounding out the offense, we need to talk about TJ Pledger. I just feel like we need to say his name. Um, mm-hmm. He's got he's gotten the bulk of carries at running back. He's averaged 4.7 yards per attempt. Um, and, and interestingly, three yards after contact. So the first time he gets hit, he's still getting about three yards on average after that. Um, he, he's averaged uh, – or he's, he's rushed for 11 yards – or mm, totally messing that up. He's rushed for 11 first downs, which is, is pretty, pretty versatile given that he's only had about 46 carries. Uh, and 13% of his runs have gone for at least five yards. I think what's really, really scary to me about TJ Pledger – is that he's he's only had nine targets, but he's averaging ten yards after the catch on his receiving targets, um, and so he's finding the ball in open space uh, out of the backfield. And TCU historically has really really struggled with running backs in the passing game, and so that 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 raises some red flags for me. It does to me as well. It, so it's it, kind of like a mini Deuce Vaughn, a Deuce Vaughn light. I think he's bigger than Deuce Vaughn. Well, yeah, bigger. I mean, in terms of, like, statistical contribution. Yeah, I, I'd say analogous. I think Deuce Vaughn is yeah. – um, they're, they're different More of a players. Feature. Yeah, no, I know. And I think but, TCU did a really good job of shutting down Deuce Vaughn outside of one pass. And, again, that one pass wasn't, wasn't game-breaking. So, um, I, I don't know about the relative talent levels, but I'll say similar threat in terms of getting the ball in the passing game and open field and making, uh, making TC's defense have to make some hard decisions about where they're going to be. Right. And so that's kind of the point I was going to make is that you're right. Like maybe different players, different talent levels, all that stuff, but still kind of using the same role. The only thing is that against Kansas State, TC is able to say, okay, hey, I know where they're going to go. It's Deuce Vaughn. Mm-hmm. With Oklahoma, it's like, hey, TJ Pledger kind of has a, a similar skill set and uses a different role, but there's also like an incredible bunch of wide receivers around him. So it's going to be harder to defend against Pledger in the passing game than it would be against Vaughn. Uh, I, I can also some, say something. very confidently you will not see a single angle route and uh, running back angle route out of Oklahoma. I, I imagine it'll Which, largely be the wheel. Right. But like also, like also, TCU can't defend the wheel, so that's terrifying. But if you're Lincoln Riley, like, hey, man, maybe throw pleasure in the angle. Like, I'm sure he'd be very good at it. But anyway, yeah, no, if it's the wheel, that's more worrisome for, against TCU, at least. Lincoln listens to our podcast. So, Link, do that, do yeah. that next week, not this week. Thank you. 
Um, yeah, for, for sure. Okay, so we've talked about the the offense entirely, and we have not mentioned one name. Do you know what name we have not mentioned? What's that name? Spencer Rattler. Yeah. So we had a Twitter question about this, which is just basically, uh, and I'll pull up the name. I apologize for a uh, uh, noted listener, and I'm so sorry I don't have it with me. Um, yeah, uh, Hurricane Marsh or Hurricanes Marsh asked, "What are your thoughts on Spencer Rattler?" I think he's very good. Um, I think he's made some freshman mistakes. I also think in terms of, and I hate this term, arm talent, he might be one of the top five quarterbacks in the country. Uh, I think, the guy puts balls in buckets, and sometimes defenses confuse him, but he can make throws that maybe Trevor Lawrence can make, and that's about it. I'm going to do uh, – I'm going to say a couple bad things about him and then say some good things about him. One, the hairdo. What the hell was that, man? No, I'm in on it. No, no, I'm, I'm not. It's a look. You, you got to have a look. It's kind of like uh, there was, there's this kid on my high school wrestling team who showed up to practice with gold shoes. And my coach was like, look, you paid money for those, but if you lose a match, we're throwing them in the garbage. And, uh, and he won, you know, like he won into, you know, two thirds of the season and he lost. And my coach threw him away. And then that kid ended up, ended up winning state. She's like, you can get away with that nonsense if you're good. Uh, but Rattler, well, he's good. Well, but they Parker. lost. They lost, and so he had to fix the hair. Um, I will also say that against Kansas State, he evidently had been watching some Kyler Murray tape because he tried a high step in the open field that was cringeworthy. It was just, it was very bad. He uh, he just didn't have it, and and he clearly thought he did. Um, okay, those are the negative things. Spencer Rattler is the best quarterback in the Big Twelve, bar none. Yeah. Uh, Rattler is eighth in ESPN's QBR this season, which he's ninth in, in passing contribution there. Uh, per PFF, he has the fifth highest passing grade in the country. He's completing 71.3% of his passes. If you adjust that for drops and throwaways, 79.4% of his passes, which is fourth, uh, fourth in the nation. On balls 20% or 20 yards down the field, He's fourth in, in on-target percentage. Uh, he might be the best arm that, that Lincoln Riley has had so far. Yeah, I agree. Murray might have been the best kind of marriage of like accurate arm, good arm, and, and a runner. Um, Jalen Hurts, more of a runner. Although, I, listen, I, I'm a Jalen Hurts stan. We didn't get into that. Uh, I think he was uh, underrated. But, yeah, Rattlers, like, as a freshman, Lincoln Riley beat well. If he didn't leave the NFL to the Houston Texans, um, like watching Spencer Rattler, Spencer Rattler develop under Lincoln Riley for the next three, two, three years is going to be horrifying for the rest of the Big Twelve. Yeah, I think at this point we're just rooting for Rattler to become a number one NFL pick and leave early. I, I'm rooting for Lincoln Riley to take a different job. Yes, but like the those. Texans are open, the Falcons are open, the Jets will be open. Like just just go to one of those, buddy. Like, yeah. if you told Jerry Jones, hey, I'm going to go to the Cowboys, he will fire Mike McCarthy tomorrow. Um, this is not an NFL podcast, but – I wish yeah. I wish you would, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Gosh, uh, yeah. So, so, so all that to say, Rattler's really, really good. I, I think what's interesting is that um, people want to focus on Rattler having five interceptions and say, oh, he's not clutch or, oh, he's, you know, broken down and then whatever – uh, I, I think the problem with that is that he's had 151 dropbacks this season. And so I, I, I'm just not comfortable throwing away 146 dropbacks where he's been 
very, very good in, in favor of those five where he's made mistakes, especially given that he's a, a freshman. I will note uh, his accuracy does change dramatically when he's pressured. Uh, it, it falls about 50 to 51.7% when, when, when someone gets to him. Um, and so I, I think there's an opportunity there for TC to try and create some edge rush, but there's a trade-off there because TC's edge rush is not really good. So they're going to have to bring an extra guy and it's the extra guy worth potentially weakening your coverage, knowing that Rattler has such a good arm there. Um, and I will note four of Rattler's five interceptions came against a clean pocket. Uh, and, and so there, there is kind of this calculus that TC was going to have to make versus do we trust our secondary enough to only bring four or God willing, this will never happen, but only bring three and mm-hmm. kind of sit eight spy Rattler and, and make him beat Huss uh, overall. Uh, or, or do we bring, do we bring pressure and try and disrupt him enough to force him into incompletions? Right. I agree. And so this is where we kind of get into, into scheming, right? So if TCU brings base pressure, just brings four, it kind of comes down to, okay, how are your seven defenders going to defend four or five wide outs going out for a pass, right? Oklahoma and the coaching staff there, this is completely like non-statistic based, anecdotal, like, you know, feelings, ball, whatever probably respects Gary Patterson more than any other coaching staff in the Big 12. And they said as much this week. Um, Lincoln Riley is, like, a huge, like, fan of Gary Patterson as a defensive coach. Alex Grinch uh, this week said that once he gets done watching Oklahoma game tape, the first tape he watches is the TCU game because he loves how Gary Patterson coaches defense. And they've had success against TCU in the past. So, like, Oklahoma – has been spending a lot of time watching the TCU defense and giving Spencer Rattler time in the pocket to run plays that they've specifically schemed against TCU is going to be bad. I know TCU doesn't have a good pass rush, but they need to maximize their efforts to make him make a quick decision because otherwise he's going to dissect the TCU defense. I I agree with that. And I think I'll actually take that in a different direction. One of the matchups in my newsletter piece that I that I highlighted was Ardarius Washington versus TJ Pledger mm-hmm. not because TJ Pledger and Ard- Ardarius Washington are going to be matched up in the pass game but because TCU's big play rushes have largely come because of uh, opposing coaches seeing TCU's run fits on film and exploiting them so uh, Iowa State ran this just just infuriatingly simple wrinkle where they had a, a wide receiver come over and bracket the safety and that was enough to kind of create these big runs. And, and so I'm very worried about our, our, our Darius Washington, uh, the, the, the run against Kansas State, Will Howard's 80-yard run, Washington in the open field. He got bracketed by a receiver and then kind of got behind the, the referee and, and couldn't make a tackle. He's going to have to make some open field tackles in the running game that he hasn't made this season if TCU's going to be able to limit the ceiling of Oklahoma's offense. I completely agree, and I am 100% with you. Like, I almost don't have anything to add. That's what worries me is Rattler, you know, Pledger or Rattler kind of going up the middle on one of those read option plays and then Washington or Merrick having to make a decision and Oklahoma being able to scheme that decision with the wide receiver or – and they do this really well, having a tight end kind of playing that H-back role off one of the tackles and them crashing down as almost a better blocker and making the TCU safeties like choose which way to go. And then Rattler and Pledger being talented enough to go the other way is terrifying. Um, and look, uh, Brees Hall is very good. Deuce Vaughn's very good. 
TJ Pledger is also very good, as is Rattler in the open field. So that's just going to be even harder for the Frogs. Definitely. And, and so it's not to say, I mean, TCU effectively, you know, TCU effectively shut down Kansas State's offense outside of four plays. They effectively shut down Iowa State's offense outside of about four or five plays. They, uh, they, they shut down Texas's offense uh, outside of about eight plays. Um, and, and Texas had some timely drops and timely turnovers that kind of gave the, gave the game in TCU's favor there. And so I am, I am a little bit worried about, look, man, TCU can make 95% of the plays they need to make this weekend and still lose by 50. No, yeah, for sure. And well, 50 may be an exaggeration, but yeah, no, I, I yeah, I agree. Do, do you, okay, since we're kind of veering in this direction, do you think TCU would be able to score against the Oklahoma defense? I don't know that TCU would be able to score against the Well, okay, 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 but okay, whatever. Look, I mean, okay, if I, if they, I scored was paint a, they scored 27 points last year. If I was going to paint a picture of optimism uh, about this about this defense, well, no, 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 they didn't. It was twenty one last year, twenty eight, twenty one, right? Uh, it was, well, it was twenty eight, twenty four, and and 24. seven, and 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 ten of those were direct results of turnovers. Um, so okay, so, look, negative Nelly. All I'm no, saying, I'm just is, saying, I'm not giving I, credit I know, I for know. the offense for starting at the opponent thirty five and scoring a touchdown. Good job, nerds. You should have done that. If you don't score a touchdown from the thirty five, I'm blaming you. Um, Oklahoma is 70th in the nation in explosiveness on defense. ISO points from play 1.37 and, and they are 57th among teams that have played in, in points per scoring opportunity at uh, 4.62. So point uh, scoring opportunity, as you know, Grant is a, a first down across the 40 yard line. And that has been TCU's, uh, curse the season that has been the bane of TCU's existence TCU is averaging only 3.26 points per opportunity this this season and so Oklahoma is really really bad once you cross the 40 and and TCU's offense has struggled and so potentially it's an opportunity for TCU to capitalize because I think offense is more important than defense I think a bad defense gives way to a bad offense more easily um, and, and so if I was going to say something it's like hey TCU's pretty pretty efficient from the 20 to the 50. And if, if OU's really that bad, kind of backed up, maybe TCU can find some points there. No, I agree. Um, the pass rush bothers me. I will say, and we kind of talked about this um, on Monday night, but Oklahoma does play a pretty aggressive defensive scheme in the passing game. I mean, they play a lot of press. And you get a guy like Quentin Jobs to do 6'4", matched up against a guy who's a sophomore for Oklahoma, Jaden Brown. He plays cornerback and has started um, the last – certainly the last two games, maybe the last three games of the Sooners. Um, he's only 5'10". I think he's a good corner, but Johnson can make plays there. Like, there's an avenue for TCU. If there's one-on-one coverage for Duggan to throw, not a 50-50 ball, but a 75-25 ball, and just kind of trust Johnson to go get it. Um so if you went around, Absolutely. you know, goal line fades, I mean, you know, I know your favorite play. That's, that's an opportunity. One, kill me. Two, I, I think that's true, but, but that's all conditional on is Duggan going to be on his back or not? Well, yeah, yeah, for sure. That's why I said the pass rush is terrifying. I mean, it's my number one concern. I, I, I'll say that I, I, I expect Johnson to get, you know, three or four targets. I'm a little bit worried about the words that have been said about to Hunt, who is a very good receiver. 
but I, I, I'm worried that he is going to his his experience and the coach's preference for experience in uh, in the midst of trial is going to eat away at Quentin Johnston's targets because um, he's 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 been getting more playing time and the coaches are talking about him and now that Dylan Thomas is as is, is transferring uh, that opens up the opportunity for them to play him more and and I'm a little worried about that. Um, I, I, I'll say that the the receiver I'm most most focusing on for TCU is is not Johnston downfield. It's Tay Barber. Tay Barber had five targets against Kansas State, and that is unacceptable. He has to be the engine for this offense, especially against Oklahoma, which hasn't really allowed the downfield uh, threat. I think they've allowed five completions of 20-plus yards this season. They they really have been struggling with that midfield kind of kind of threat. And so if we can find a way – we, again, I'm a part of TCU's team – uh, can, can, can find a way to get Tay Barber the ball uh, in open space in front of the line of scrimmage, I, I think that'll, that'll yield huge dividends. So I agree. Uh, first off, this is, this is probably, I don't know, 50 minutes into the podcast, a time to point out that J.D. Spielman is doubtful uh, for this game. I don't know if a player or not. Um, J.D. Spielman has like seven targets on the year. Who cares? I know, but I still want him in the offense, Parker. That's oh that's right. In point. terms of like potential and what we could do for sure. Right. In terms of what we are doing, doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah okay. Fine. Well, here in Grant's dream world, I would like to see JD Spielman on the field against Oklahoma. <laughs> but all I'm saying is, that if to fail, so you're right. So Oklahoma has been pretty effective against the deep ball and defense. But if Hunt's going to be a focal point of the offense, that probably means that they're they're not going to run him over the middle on those routes that Barber runs. Right. Like that's that's Barber's territory. It's probably Darius uh, Davis's territory. Things like that. Look, if they're using surveillance hunt, that means they're taking shots. And that's something me and you have been arguing for for like the last, I don't know, two years since we've known each other probably. And hell, man, if, if it's Hunt, if it's Johnson, if it's a big wide receiver going to get targeted downfield, I'm fine with it. Try something. That's all I'm asking. That's fair. I, I think because of the offensive line play, I've actually shifted well, back conservative yeah. and okay. been like, hey, <laughs> let's just run stick to Pro Wells until they stop it. Like – Let's just go four yard gain to Pro Wells every fine. Time. Fine, I'm fine with that. But uh, you know what I mean. I mean, I just I yes. Yeah, I think there are avenues for success with the core that we that we again that TCU has to try some things downfield if Duggan can stay upright for more than three seconds. You know what I really liked last year? Do you remember in the Baylor game? Uh, I, I think this is the only time I saw this, but but my memory is is poor, and I could be I could be wrong. TCU put. Uh, Barber and Olana Lua in the backfield and mm-hmm. Barber was lined up next to Duggan Olana Lua behind him they were in the pistol and Duggan did a play fake to Barber a play fake to Olana Lua and then dumped it to Barber on a wheel route mm-hmm. and so I love that play and I love the idea of Tay Barber with a full head of steam and the ball in open space I would love to see TCU put Barber in the backfield and run the ball not to Barber and kind of build on that concept and then run the play action and, and throw the ball to Barbara. It would be nice to see them kind of build on that. No, I completely agree. Listen, anything you suggest in the pistol, I'm all for. Um, I think TCU should, should utilize it more. But, yeah, I mean, I, BD Oklahoma is going to take some form of innovation, um, and if that's what it takes, then I, I'm here for it. Um, Parker, do you want to move to predictions before you go to Twitter questions, or is there anything else you'd like to say about Oklahoma? No, I I think I'm scared of Oklahoma, and I think it's. Oh, okay I'm terrified. Yeah, um, no. Let's let's do let's do predictions. What are you, what are okay. you, how are you feeling about this game? 
Okay. Normally, I'll, normally I'll, we do best case, worst case. So let's do best case, worst case. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, so, so worst case, it's not good, right? It, it's a blowout. Rattler treats us like he did, treats TCU like he did Missouri state. And it's a, it, it is complete within reason for this to be a 52, 14 game. I mean, there's no doubt about it with, with, with the way these teams are played. Best case. I'm always going to say the best case is a TCU win, right? I think that's fair. It's just a question of how you, how you get there with any team. Um, so it's going to be ugly. It's going to be 21-17. It's going to be Rattler makes a lot of freshman mistakes. It's going to be TCU runs one of those picks back to the house, um, you know, gets the ball in plus territory, as you, as you said earlier, and Duggan makes enough plays with his legs probably to keep this game uh, in the Frogs' favor. That's kind of my worst case, best case. Yeah, I, I get that. Okay, so I, I've used this I've used this uh, analogy before, and I kind of wish I hadn't, and I wish I hadn't seen the Marvel movies, but here I am. In the Marvel movies, there uh, I forget which I forget which one. It's it's the second to last one. It's uh, Infinity War, and you you, you, have, you haven't watched the Marvel movies, whatever. And uh, Doctor Strange is like the weird magic guy, and he like goes into the future and like watches every single potential timeline. And he comes back and he's like, there's only one we win. Uh, and I was like, okay, I, I'm, I'm thinking about that for TCU. I think there's only one way that, that TCU wins. And so to figure that out, I went back to every single T- uh, Oklahoma loss over the last, over Lincoln Riley's tenure. And so they lost in 2017 to Iowa State, 2018 to Texas, 2019 to Kansas State, 20 to Kansas State, 20 to Iowa State. So five games that they've lost in, in Big 12 play. Um, and I will say that Oklahoma has had a greater than 60% win post-game win expectancy in all of those games except 2020 Iowa State. So in four of those five games, Oklahoma statistically would, would, would have been expected to win given what happened. And so I'm trying to find like the commonality of what happened. And some of those games, Oklahoma had, had few possessions. Some of those games, Oklahoma had a lot of possessions. Some of those games, Oklahoma uh, gave up a lot of rush yards. And other of those games, they gave up no rush yards. So I'm trying to figure out the commonality. And it really comes down to big plays. So uh, the, the, the Iowa State game in, in 17, they had a run of 11 yards. But then they had passes of 57, 46, 35, 54, 28. Texas in 2018, they had a run of 31 and 14, but then they had passes of 36, 28, 29, 18, 18. Kansas State in 19, runs of 26 and 22 and 14. They had passes of 26, 23, 23, 19. That's Iowa the State, most Kansas State, but that's the most Kansas State should have ever heard. By the that way. is that is hardy as hell. Um, it, uh, against Iowa State in 20, they had a run of 36, and then Iowa State had passes of 65, 42, 28, 35. Kansas State in 20 had runs of 28, 78, 77, 39. Oklahoma also had a turnover in every single one of those games, uh, and multiple in all of them but one. So here is the best-case scenario for TCU somebody steps up at running back. They've had good running backs, Grant. The TCU running back core is good. But what have they done this season? Not much. Not much. So the running back core breaks, breaks a big one. Quentin Johnson gets a couple over the top. Blair Conrad maybe gets some yards after the catch, which he hasn't really done this year. And TCU gets a couple turnovers, and this turns into a 31-28 last-second missed field goal slog fest. That's TCU's best-case scenario. 
So establish the run. No, fake news. Uh, just just when you run, make sure it's good. When you run. No, no, I, I agree. And I think that's totally fair. I, it, it, it is going to come down to big plays. Right. And so, so whether that's, it, and, and whether, that's, whether that's on the defense or the offense. And, and that's something TCU hasn't had against Oklahoma ever. Like, you, no, you, I, I mean, you've got to find a way to get a big play against a bad defense. And, and, and you're not going to win unless you can get some big plays because realistically, if you try to go, you know, if you try to go blow for blow with Oklahoma, you're going to lose. You are. I mean, the, the time TC won, literally it came down to the pick six. And at the close games, it was, you know, Bram Kohlhausen losing his mind uh, as a preview of the Alma Bowl. Uh, Duggan wheeling at the left side, kind of running for his life and escaping for a big gain. Uh, Vernon Scott stripping Jalen Hurts, stuff like that. It's, it's come down to monumental plays to keep TCU in the game. And I completely agree. That's what it's going to come down to this year. And so, and so TCU is going to have to do two things that they haven't done all season. One, they're going to have to stop the rush in the second level, um, which they've allowed to go for, for ridiculous yards this season. And two, they're going to have to generate big plays on offense consistently. So um, I, I think I agree with your worst case scenario. That's my, that's my best case scenario is that they pop off a few big plays. Um, what's, your, what's your prediction for this, uh, for this season? I, I don't like predicting losses, but I'm going to call it I wish I remember what I did in the preview. Oh, I had the preview up. I always like to be consistent. Let's see what I have. Um, Oklahoma 35, TCU 27. Ooh, that feels like a lot of points. Uh, I'm optimistic, Parker, predicting a loss. I'm going Oklahoma 38, TCU 17. I, that's not a bad prediction. Um, let's move off that quickly and go to Twitter questions to wash the taste out of our mouth. You ready? Let's do that. Let's cleanse our palate. Okay. Before we ask, I do have to point out an obvious song that I missed that someone responded. Uh, shout out uh, at Lego Jetta. Choctaw Bingo by James McMurtry. Oh, hot damn. Okay. James McMurtry's album. Um... Live at the uh, live and Ot three. I have it on vinyl. I was going to say Copper uh, Copper Canteen. Co- Copper Canteen is oh also great. Oh, my gosh. Uh, that, might be the, that might be the best country album in, in the last five years. Yeah. It might be. Live at Off 3 is incredible. Choctaw Bingo is a great song. Shout out, Lego Jetta. That's a completely fair suggestion. Yeah, that's, okay. a, great, that's a great suggestion. That's, yeah, thank, that's, you for, that's, thank you for reminding yes, us that. thank you for reminding us. Okay, uh, let's see. Um, all of these are about songs. Okay, here we go. Well, let's do that. I'm fine with that. Whatever. Oh, I know. I do too. Okay. Uh, we answered Hurricanes Marsh question earlier. Uh, our friend of the podcast at Mason underscore B Shereen. Um, what does the offensive line have to do at minimum to set up our offense for success if play calling is competent? Uh, stop Nick Benito, first and foremost. Yeah. Yeah, here's what I want to see from TCU's offensive line. Against Kansas State, there were plenty of plays where the, kind of the first push failed. And then you saw skill players kind of making the second effort and offensive linemen standing around with their hands on their hips and just saying like, oh, darn. I, 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 I don't even care about play calling. I just need to see some fire out of this offensive line. I need to see an offensive lineman for TCU say, hey, I'm going to kill somebody. I don't care who that somebody is. I might make the wrong assignment but somebody is going to go to the ground because of me this game. Uh, and I haven't seen that this far. So some kind of fire out, out of the offensive line is, is really, I think, the minimum standard just because TC's offensive line has looked robotic, lifeless, and, and feckless this entire offseason. There's that word again. Completely, yeah. yeah. Um, I agree. I think we've you have shared some clips of some TCU, TCU offensive linemen kind of what I would say – is it kind of an aimless pull 
right? And, and that they're, they're fulfilling their duty by pulling, but they're not hitting anybody. If, if and, you pull and you don't hit anyone, you're wrong. That's look, bad. I, I, I didn't play football past eighth grade, but I was a left tackle. And if I pulled, I was going to – I might have gotten ran over. I probably would have, but I was going to find someone to put my body in front of. Yeah. And, look, if you have to, uh, you know, abort the pull and hit a crashing linebacker, hit whatever, like hit somebody. I completely agree. That that's that's totally fair. So so that's um, again. I don't mean to put like college athletes on the spot, and obviously they're more physically and and mentally talented than I am in football. I'm just saying, dude. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I just too. I just yeah. don't know how as a as a lineman you can turn around and see Max Duggan getting hit and not go commit a 15 yard penalty and murder that guy. Like, yeah, I, dude, yeah, I am fine with like a don't don't intentionally hurt somebody, but like put if, someone on their back. Dad Gummit. If, like, and, and, and even to the point where it's like, hey, against Kansas State, why did Hubert hit Duggan late on that last play and there was a flag yeah. for it? And Duggan and Hubert talked. No, dude. Hubert does not get in my quarterback's face. Like, that is just absurd to me that an offensive lineman is going to sit and watch the lineman on the defense who committed a personal foul against my quarterback stand up and say something to my quarterback. No, that's not, that's, no, that's not no, the attitude no, no, I want no, in my football team. No, no, I, I completely agree. Um, Okay, friend of the podcast, at Will Brasher, with the podcast called Purple Theory, I'm sure you'll only be referencing the remix to Mims' This Is Why I'm Hot. This is why I rock, featuring Purple Popcorn. I will not, because in the Mims version, he says, this is why I'm hot, I don't got a rap. I could sell a mill saying nothing on the track. I represent New York, I got it on my back. And uh, I used to mow the lawn listening to that song, so I'm not going to uh, acknowledge any other version other than the Mims version. This is uh, this is which, why I'm hot by Mems kind of feels like laughing straight to the bank it, by Fifty Cent, which is just like, hey, I could I could say anything I want and you'll pay for it, which is really just an homage to Blues Traveler's hook, where he says no. it doesn't matter what I say <laughs> as long as I sing with inflection. Uh, it's got it's got all the same thing. <laughs> no one has ever compared a Mems song to Blues Traveler. Uh, I used to have this is why I'm hot and uh, Ooh Ah by Grits. Uh, my life ooh, uh, on the same uh, pot, uh, playlist. He's played back to back. Hey man, so. your your boy has seen Grits live, and let me tell really? you, it holds up. Oh, oh, I'm sure it's a great song. Okay, the uh, the last question we had uh, from from friend of the podcast Matt Jennings at Matt A Jennings. What position, individual group, do you think offers the biggest mismatch for OU to exploit and for TCU to exploit? So. Let's go. OU, I'll say OU. You say OU. I'll say TCU. You say TCU. Um, I think the biggest mismatch for OU. I mean, we've said this a lot. Is the offensive line, right? So OU's pass rush is pretty decent. Again, we mentioned Nick Bonito and TCU's offensive line doesn't hold up. And so if they can run that kind of three four and get pressure with just four and bring that edge rusher, whether it's Benito um, or the other guy that bring off the edge whose name escapes me. Um, that's a really good opportunity for them to drop seven in coverage and make Max Duggan throw quickly against a good defense coached by Alex Grinch. Yeah, so so I I think on the defensive side of the ball, I'm actually uh, mo- most worried just because of like alignment and the play action and the RPO function uh, about the linebackers versus versus Austin Stubner. Uh, TCU has had a really hard time. I will forever be haunted by Baker Mayfield just sitting in the pocket and waiting for Mark Andrews to get open. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so I'm really worried about the the uh, 
linebackers being able to kind of keep track of, you know, the run threat and then the RPO threat and then the quarterback running threat. And then also Austin Stogner just kind of being there. So that, that, that would be the, the Oklahoma, um, uh, matchup. I, I think I'd, I'd be most worried about. Yeah. And I guess I should probably answer Matt's question better. If he's talking about the offenses, um, it is what we talked about earlier with the running backs making safeties make choices. Um, so on offense, that's pleasure making like Washington and Mary make choices. Um, and then for TCU to exploit on offense, I really do think it's the secondary. I'm not, you know, talking mess about the TCU defensive back or Oklahoma defensive backs. I just think that TCU has talented wide receivers with size advantages. And the way the schemes work out, there's an opportunity to kind of beat Alex Grinch's defense uh, in the secondary uh, to, to give Duggan good choices to throw to. Uh, the, I, I, I totally agree. And I'm going to kind of piggyback off that for mine. Um, uh, and you know, this has been a musical example. And so I'm just going to draw on Eminem asking, will a real slim shady, please stand up. Uh, I, I want the real pro Wells to please stand up. And I think that mm. pro Wells in, in the short game and over the middle, especially as he's healthy. So that's not, that's not as so much a criticism of him. He's been unhealthy and he's been easing back into the game, but I think pro Wells could have a profound impact uh, on this on this game this week. Uh, and, and so if TCU can say, hey, our offensive line is not going to give us a ton of time, we're putting Pro Wells at the Y, and we're putting Artavius Lynn as an uncovered tight end. Side note, the number of times that TCU has covered up Artavius Lynn and just run a very, very dumb formation this season has been just mind-boggling. Yeah. If, but, but, but keep Artavius Lynn uncovered, keep Pro Wells at the Y, and I think you've got a couple of big-bodied, sure-handed – uh, receivers that you can get the ball to quickly make OU defend that and then you can go over the top so so I think those first order kind of underneath uh, pro wells is, is kind of TCU's biggest uh, potential matchup to exploit no I completely agree um, and, and listen I'm a big pro wells fan um, and even if it is just hey bring it like we could run those under routes or hey we're gonna run the pro wells route and run them on a post uh, inside the 20 yard line and have Duggan hit him I think there's size to exploit there. So, yeah, I'm, I'm completely in on and, that. And they ran it twice against Kansas State, and potentially if Max Duggan is not getting murdered, he could get the ball there. So and that, also that's what pretty was, successful. And what was knocked away yeah. uh, from yeah, Crowell's. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's – yeah, like that route still works as it turns Absolutely. out. I hope, they, I hope they go back to it. Yeah, me too. Um, Parker, I'm trying to think of a good – lyric from boys from Oklahoma to close this podcast out, but all of them have words that I can't currently say in my current job opportunity. Uh, so yeah. Look, man. Uh, all I know is that evidently they, the boys from Oklahoma roll the joints are wrong. I don't know how many that's, comments. That's on what that, I've been told. But... And listen, the boys down there in Texas, uh, they have some damn fine green. I think from what I've been told, um, Again, the delegate oh, yeah. from the Democratic People's Republic of Stats War has no comment on this issue. Um, if you're listening this far in the episode, you're, you're clearly are, uh, already following me on Twitter at Stats of War and Grant McGalliard at Grant McGalliard, spelled like it sounds with all those vowels. Make sure that you subscribe to the Purple Theory newsletter to get our in-depth previews uh, every Wednesday, Friday, and Monday. 
Um, other than that, we'll be on Twitter talking about the game and, uh, and we'll be here on Saturday. If you like the podcast rate review, so that everyone who, who, who might enjoy the podcast knows about it. And, uh, hopefully something weird happens this weekend in Fort Worth on a day that it's supposed to be in the sixties, which will be, uh, just damn refreshing for those of us who have been sweating in Fort Worth for the last couple weeks. So, uh, uh until Saturday, I'm, uh, I'm Parker Fleming and our co-host is Grant McGalliard and, uh, go Frogs. Go Frogs.